While this podcast contains little to no explicit material, it is sprinkled with some uncensored swears. Listener discretion is advised. Like skin, pray for evenings in. Hold their hands in the street when you walk them off to school. A box too full to shut, a cardboard paper cut, the bleeding edge of a picture of your parents when they were cool. So much to say, I forget to start. There goes the day fading as it passes. Forget the gray, let it fall apart. It's okay. I like you in glasses. Hey y'all, the Omniplex is open, and I don't have a good like sort of hairspray opening thing. <laughs> but we're talking about hairspray. We're finally getting to John Waters. Yes, in the safest way possible. Oh yeah. In the PGest way possible. Yes, we're finally taking a look at the 1988 John Waters' first ever PG movie, Hairspray. It's, it's still very John Waters. Yes. That's what's cool about it. It's the only John Waters film that I've seen because I am I really like John Waters, but I am scared of his films. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of the three of us, I'm the John Waters aficionado to some extent now i i haven't seen everything of his but i mean i've seen pink flamingos so has alvin <laughs> yes. yes yes he has oh my god it's funny what a position waters has come to occupy in american society he's very much the culture's weird gay uncle that's going to show you all kinds of crazy stuff and we love him for it the Simpsons episode is 25 years ago, people, if you want to know how much time passes. That was my uh, first introduction to John Waters. It was for a lot of people, and I will forever love that The Simpsons used him that way. It was a, a great way of dealing with this subject and saying, we're not going to soft-pedal this. Um, and Waters was great on that episode, too. He's such a beloved cultural figure and it's kind of funny the uh the run that uh hairspray kicked off was there was a run of a few years where he was really kind of throwing down the middle down you know mainstream stuff um sort of a trilogy of this crybaby and serial mom where these were movies that they played the multiplexes they were actually fairly successful uh, this actually did turn a profit theatrically i believe it yeah Ooh, I can't wait to talk about the uh, cultural milieu in which it was birthed into. I have thoughts. That's actually really a good way to start, actually. Because I do want to point out that the movie came out in 1988, where you were really seeing a lot of... 1988, 1989, you saw a lot of movies that were making very strong references to this kind of... to that era. Uh, it started, you know, it started a little bit earlier uh, in the decade, but you had stuff like Back to the Beach, this shag movies that were taking looks at the 60s and doing it in kind of an irreverent way 
Um, a lot of sixties art after all was very tame and very squeaky clean. And it's not that the stuff that came after that I'm referencing was like all for shock value or anything. It wasn't. In fact, pretty much everything that I just listed is PG, PG 13, but it's that there was kind of an irreverent eighties edge to it. It was a really big time for nostalgia. Um, the beach boys had hits in the eighties. Uh, if you want an example of that, um, I think Todd in the shadows put it best when he said that no decade was better for nostalgia than that. If you were an artist who'd had hits in the past and it was a really good time for waters to be making this movie is my point. He landed at an exact perfect moment for this movie. And and this uh, hairspray comes after a seven-year stretch between films because the last one was uh, Polyester. Yeah, which was also a nostalgia film when you get right down to it because it was him riffing on Douglas Sirk. Yeah, it's Douglas Sirk with uh, Odorama and probably best known, at least among my generation, as the source for the opening sample for the Avalanche's Frontier Psychiatrist. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, of course, unfortunately, at the end of this cast, we're going to talk about what this movie is also very well known for. But let's not get there yet, because I'm going to stay happy for a moment. Zephyr, I'm going to let you take take away take over here, because you know far more than I do. Yes. With our uh, Pope of Trash himself, John Waters, we're looking at his first feature film, Mondo Trasho, was in 69, and we would be introduced to some of what they were dubbed Dreamlanders. So you had uh, Mary Vivian Pierce, Mink Stoll, David Lockery, George Figgs, Divine, and uh, later on down the line, you would get Stuff like uh, uh, Multiple Maniacs in 1970 with the uh, cavalcade of perversions, as it were. You also had the introduction in that for uh, Cookie Muller and Edith Massey. Then, his most infamous film came in 1972 with Pink Flamingos. Just absolute garbage with with the premise being trying to be the filthiest person alive and a rather uh, well-known ending scene. We, we all know what it is. Let's not oh, belabor yeah. it. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to go into any depth. You, I think it's really interesting that Pink Flamingos is a movie that as well known as it is, I don't think I've ever heard anybody defend it, to be honest. This is a, uh... Uh, I'm just going to outright say what it is in the simplest terms possible, just just so everyone knows what we're talking about. Um, Divine eats dog shit on camera, like yep. real, actual, fresh, fresh. fresh. Yeah, dog you shit. see, you see, you see the thing happen, and then you see her eat it. That's it. <laughs> the end. The end. Yes, but yes. Pink Flamingos was finally recognized and added to the National Film Registry uh, last December. So, nice. yay. Coprophilia is now seen as a national heritage item. <laughs> that is completely true. We yes. are not making this up. It's important as a work of outsider art, but, yeah, like I said, I've never heard anybody defend this movie, which 
is the point, which is the point, I think. Yeah. And in an effort to try and top that, we have 1974's Female Trouble, which is one of my personal favorites out of... Now, that one, on the other hand, I've heard a lot of love for, so yeah. Oh, yes. it It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of trash. Affectionate trash, for sure. Um, just how Divine not getting her cha-cha heels puts her on a life of crime, and every yeah, bad thing that happens does like we've got rape we've got child beatings we've got oh my full, we've got full frontal male nudity we've got birthing scenes we've got divine as a go-go dancer we have eyeliner injections like heroin you also have uh edith massey as aunt ida in this very trashy ill-fitting leather suit and then later she has her hand chopped off and put in a bird cage oh my divine's daughter ends up joining the harry krishna's uh masturbation with a fish in front of a live audience yes oh my yeah that's so much worse any one of those things is so much worse than what i was thinking yeah yeah Yes, and then in 77, we have Desperate Living involving a cult. And then we would have Polyester in 1981, where it's Divine and Tab Hunter together. And as we've said before, it's a, uh, it's a riff of Douglas Sirk's melodramas, primarily uh, Written on the Wind and All That Heaven Allows. Uh, to jump ahead a little bit, uh, I know that John Wires did A Dirty Shame uh, in 1995, and that's when they actually saw on the shelf in like a one of my local stores. A Dirty Shame was in 2004. Was it 2004? Okay. Yeah. I completely miscalculated that one, but yes, I saw it in like a local independent video store in Kansas City and uh would later learn like and it was the 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 original NC17 uncut version I would later learn that uh there's two versions of it and the the R-rated version is not John Wire's favorite no and he called the the people who ended up renting that one uh suckers <laughs> Because they rented the wrong version. Just because they had to have a version for Blockbuster shelves. What a shame. A dirty shame. Ooh, it's a dirty shame, yes. <laughs> With Polyester, uh, like we had lost a few of the Dreamlanders cast by the time we have Polyester, primarily David Lockery. And then with Polyester, this would be uh, Edith Massey's last appearance in a John Waters film and then once we got to Hairspray it would be Divine's last film sadly, sadly yeah yes sadly so basically Hairspray yeah 19, 1960s Baltimore there is a TV show called the Courtney Collins show uh which the, it's it's basically just a dance competition it's so you think you can dance 1960s Kind of, sorta. It's 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 a lot simpler than that. It's American Bandstand. 
Yeah, it's, there you it's go. It's the local version of American Bandstand that every market had. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Better historical context for you. So anyway, yeah, it's that. It had, like, favorites and whatnot. People called in to vote. So that's the basic gist of what you need to know. And uh, our main protagonist is Tracy Turnblatt, who's a plump teenager with big hair, with lots of hairspray in it. You know, hence the title. <laughs> and... Uh, there's liberal use, liberal use of hairspray throughout the film. Her father is played by Jerry Stiller. Uh, may he rest in peace. And the mother is, of course, played by Divine. May he also rest in peace. And it's very important to note that Divine died three year, three weeks after this movie came out. Yes. So it was still in theaters. Yes. Yes. Uh, just before what was supposed to be a brief stint like out of drag uh, on Married with Children. Mm-hmm. Just mm, very tragically. But Tracy is being played by Ricky Lake. Yes, that Ricky Lake. All right, let's pause and I'm going to say something. And okay. I, have to, I have to get this off my chest because it's going to piss me off. The way that the 90s talked about, tra- about Ricky Lake is it's unforgivable. The jokes that were made about her were unforgivable. And there are so many comedians that deserved to be punched for the jokes that they made about her. Um, I listened when Norm Macdonald died. I went through all of his stuff because of nostalgia and that nostalgia soured pretty fast when I listened to how often he made fat jokes at her expense, which is weird because Lake was never really that big. Uh, she was an ordinary woman. Yeah. You know, and a, a pretty conventionally attractive uh, woman at that. She was, you know, Tremendously charismatic, tremendously charming, and uh, the 90s were unforgivably goddamned cruel to her. So, uh, so I'm glad we're going to be talking about something good that she did. I'm, I'm really happy that my childhood 90s mind uh, like remembers her as the talk show host. Which and for a job she was very good at. Yes, and nothing more than that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. mean, I mean that in a the best way. That's my 90s memory yeah, of Ricky Lake. And that's, that's how she should be viewed. She's a talented woman, and I just, I'm sorry, it's just that has been, since we've been doing this cast, I've been like, I need to hold some people to account. The amount of times that you know, and there were a lot of comedians that were guilty of this shit. So. I also, I also have, like, remember her running a very nice show. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, there's that too. So, and mm-hmm. I was very, first time I saw this a little over 10 years ago, uh, I was very surprised and happy to see, hey, there's a younger Ricky Lake. Interesting. She's <laughs> and, very well cast here. She's very well used. Mm-hmm. Especially since this was her debut. A, a debut that would be a running trend in later adaptations. Yeah. Regarding uh, the Corny Collins show, getting back to the synopsis, this was a segregated dance show. Yes, that's the most important part. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the whole that's the whole theme of the movie. Integration. Integration. It's good people. Exactly. Which when you frequently drive when you drive past signs for Central High School on a daily basis, you think a lot about integration. Let me tell you, the integration crisis of Central High is never out of my mind. For those that don't know, of course, I am recording this from Little Rock, Arkansas. 
where uh, where I've lived for many years. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a segregated show that has on the last Thursday of every month, uh, Negro Night. Negro Day. Negro Day. Yes, that's it. That part is hosted by Motormouth Maybell. Motormouth Maybell. Yes. Yes, played by uh, Ruth Brown. And so what we have here is at one part while Tracy and her friend Penny audition, there is a uh, there is a black girl who is also up for auditioning and she's essentially told no because she's black. And then on top of that, we later learn that the uh, station owner, who is also played by Divine in like male form. Yes. Is racist as hell. Which is funny because I only caught that like halfway through. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, that's Divine also. Yes. Uh, Not the first time Divine had played dual roles in a John Wires film. Uh, The first one would be in Female Trouble, where a male Divine ends up, for better, or for lack of a better term, raping female dying outside on a dirty ass mattress ne- uh? never change john never change okay yes yes and one of the jokes divine said whenever someone told her to go fuck herself it's like i already have nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so good. yeah so yeah wow yeah just so we all know what we're dealing with here yeah yes and Tracy gets on the show, her popularity begins to rise, and so does her hair to the point where it's actually to the detriment of others in the classroom. She's then sent to the special ed room where it's home for, regarding the film's dialogue, home for the retards and the black kids that are left behind. Do I even have to say it? 1988 and John Waters, yeah. Still PG, but all, but also period piece period yeah, dialogue. Period. Yes. and that's very important. That's very important. Context is important in all aspects here. Because if you can't tell just from this synopsis, yeah, Waters isn't saying that all this is good. Right? Yeah, he's pissed. Oh, absolutely. He's presenting all this in the harsh, cold light of day. Bless him for it. Mm-hmm. So Tracy ends up befriending. A black boy, Seaweed, who turns out to be the son of Motormouth Mabel. They develop a relationship, and uh, how do I put it? It's up to her, her Seaweed, Penny, and then Link, a handsome white dancer on the Corny Collins show, to try and integrate the show come hell or high water. Which, by the way, Courtney Collins is a hundred percent down and with this, and has been trying to to uh, integrate the show for many years, is suggested. Which is actually, from what I've read, was actually pretty common from the uh, standpoint of uh, people who worked in the industry. That they yeah. were pro, you know, the people that actually were down there on the ground pretty often wanted integration because, I mean, just on a base level, they knew that the ratings would be higher. Yeah, there was money in it. Yeah, and they they uh they also wanted their their coworkers to have equal treatment. Yeah, that's another thing. The entertainment industry is a really hard industry to be bigoted in. Amber's parents are played by none other than Sonny Bono and Debbie Harry. 
I, I, this is how you do stunt casting and you do it right because you find the right people. Uh, this was at a point where Sonny Bono was a joke, which is weird because he never should have been a joke because he was always a really good comedic actor. I always thought he was funny. I, I always thought, you know, in the stuff I've seen from the Sonny and Cher show, that dude was funny. He knew his way around a punchline. Yeah. And like, I mostly knew Debbie Harry from Videodrome. Well, that's the least shocking sentence you've ever said. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like, this was not her first interaction with Waters, as she had penned one of the songs for Polyester, but not actually being in the film. This is her first appearance, like, that's, that's in cool. the flesh. I, I, I want to I really point out that there are people that, in, in the, in the quote-unquote punk rock era, that were not, you know, that were posers and were imitators. I do not consider Debbie Harry that. She was the real deal. And I have such mad respect for her. She's a legend. So I love that she's here in this. Yeah, and at, at the end of, of Hairspray, at the big auto show dance, there's a giant wig that Debbie Harry has that has a bomb inside it. Like sticks of dynamite, alarm clock, strapped to alarm clock, bomb, bomb, <laughs> and then everyone dances. The end. Roll credits. Yeah, and it it goes off while her hair, and surprisingly, only affects her and doesn't really hurt her that much. This movie's a cartoon. It is, and, but I and I don't say that in a bad way. I don't say it in a no, bad no, way. of course, in a wonderful way. Yes, because it it's a cartoon that, of course has so much serious stuff on its mind, but it's cartoon. It's sweet. Mm -hmm. It's light. It's playful. It embodies, I'm not shocked this movie made a profit. It embodies why we love Waters. Like, it's weird, because even though this was his mainstream play, I've never heard any Waters purists call this his sellout film. This is always treated very much as a core. To understand Waters, you have to understand this film. Movie. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, Favorite favorite part uh, when Tracy is getting is getting uh, carted away to prison and uh, Link links her boyfriend. Yeah, it's just like on the ground. He has been kneecapped by a woman's purse <laughs> and he's just dragging himself <laughs> just by his arms, like legs dragging up behind him like Tracy, like <laughs> very, very silly. This would be a good time for me to point out what Michael St. Gerard did after this movie. Because, of course, this is a movie about, you know, integration and, you know, helping others. And, you know, it's, it's good-hearted. Michael St. Gerard went on to become a pastor in Harlem. Seriously. He went on to do outreach with inner-city youth. So, that dude, I'm, I'm sure that he looks back on this film and he's thrilled that he had this on his CV. Sometimes you see people where they're on socially progressive works and you know, it's nothing like what they would go on to be as people. Now I'm sure this dude probably looks back at this movie with joy because yeah, he went on, to, he went on to do real, he went on to do real deal work. And I admire that so much. He also did a lot of Elvis impersonation, which I fully, fully believe. Yes. Literally played Elvis <laughs> multiple times. Not surprised by this at all. No, I didn't think anybody would be. 
there is, like I said, this is, I'm glad we watched this movie when we did, because this has been a nightmare month for me. And this was such a joyful experience to go through. Like what this film does is provide basically what John Waters considers his favorite tracks from, from this era. And they by and large comprise the soundtrack because you have, because you have a uh, town without pity, shake a tail feather. Uh, you'll lose a good thing. Uh, Madison time. I'm blue. Uh, you also have brief appearances of limbo rock. Let's twist again. The fly mashed potato time. Uh, gravy for my mashed potatoes. You don't own me. Oh, of course. Yes. These are what I love is that a lot of these are deep cuts. They're not the greatest hits, but they are great songs. Yeah, because like you're not getting rock around the clock, happy days, whatever. No. You're getting to what the music actually sounded like in the era. I think, yeah, that's the thing about pop music. You know, people only remember like the stuff there that's number one. But, you know, what about the B-sides? Like it was that was most of it, you know. And usually it's the stuff that people really loved, too. Yeah. yeah. Like that's the stuff that if you hear someone talk about I don't know if y'all have heard the uh, Reply All episode about the lost hit. But no, it's it's a podcast where these guys, they tried to track down this song and couldn't find it for most of the cast. And it was a song that was on an album that barely got released and it barely got radio play. But I had remembered hearing it. And, uh, you know, eventually they do find the song. And it was this song that, again, the record label just threw away. But it affected the uh, guy that wrote in to see if they could find it so much. So, yeah, it's, this is that kind of And I really recommend y'all listen to it. It's a wonderful episode. A very good podcast. Um, but, yeah. No, I, as someone who really loves 60s music very deeply, uh, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. Like, John Waters does appear in this. Yes, he does. In, in Hairspray as... A quack psychiatrist who, when, <laughs> like, once Tracy and her friends are found in the black part of town by by their parents, John Water shows up as the psychiatrist, and uh, he's holding like a like a hip like a hypno ray or some shit like that, like that. It's it's just a like spire black and white spiral pattern spinning around on a stick, and he's just kind of waving it around. <laughs> and then we have later scenes with him uh, using a cattle prod on on Penny. Mm -hmm. Which hey, uh, I know the mother's crazy, uh, but wow, I would not put that man alone. In a room with my teenage daughter. I hate that I don't think that the state of conversion therapy has really gotten any better. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it even, by which I mean, I hate the fact that it's still a thing. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, they call it applied behavioral analysis now. Spit. Oh. Nah. No. Dress it up all you want. It's still wrong and gross and bad. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm but him playing someone who is, for all intents and purposes, uh, a guy who would be practicing conversion therapy is uh, 
hilarious in a sense of of the word. It's a choice. It is. Well, all John Waters films are a choice. Let's be yeah. clear. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good. It's a good choice. It's 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 very good. It's it's a good joke. Is what I'm saying. It lands. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think. Yeah, that that's a better presence for him to have in this film than like I'm I'm not I'm glad he shows up in the musical version as a flasher. I'll say that. And I and I think that smacks of uh they asked him what he I don't know if this is the truth, but it smacks of uh they asked him what he wanted to do and he said, I want to be a flasher. It had to be. Mm-hmm. It, it had know. to be him. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, but yes, hairspray did indeed uh, turn a profit at at the box office, scoring a eight point three million, and then uh, video rentals helped as well. It was a big video movie. I I know. Um, it was a big TV movie. It was you know because it's the kind of film that you could show on TV easily. <clears throat> One thing I really do want to point out is. I love the, how he uses Pia Zadora in this movie because, you know, using her as a beatnik and having her read Howl of all things, because I just covered the Razzies uh, for a blog entry. And I just have to point out how much this is what I love about Waters. He finds people that are beyond considered disreputable. I mean, he used Patty Hearst and Tracy Lords. In upcoming films. So he really was, you know, and Zadora was widely hated. And I love that he uses her very well here in that joke. And of course, Rick Ocasek, too. So mm-hmm. that's just something I wanted to point out that I liked. Good touch. Yes. Good touch. Uh, John Waters would then follow up Hairspray with another film in the same vein Cry Baby with Johnny Depp and uh, Susan Tyrell and Iggy Pop and Ricky Lake, who would eventually appear in other Waters films. Kind of like a late-era Dreamlander. But, like, Crybaby was the first of Waters films that I saw, and I didn't really get the appeal of it. And I'm like, I thought this was, you know, I thought John Waters was supposed to be raunchy. And it's like, and then I later saw his earlier work, and I'm like, okay, this is what they mean. This is what they mean. And, of course, with Cecil B. Demented and, uh, a dirty shame. He'd get back to that. He'd get, he'd get back to that. Um, but of course, a dirty shame brought a uh, Johnny Knoxville into the fold, showing that he recognizes the next generation. I love that. I love his inner. I love his. I love that he's had interactions with the Jackass crew. Of course, he's in Jackass too. I love that. I love that. Game recognizes game. Yes, and so hairspray would stay. But a film classic until 2002 when it was adapted as a musical. The musical had uh, Harvey Firestein as Edna in, in Divine's role, which. That's interesting. That's, you know what, though? That's, that's good casting, at least. At least that's. Mm-hmm. At least Firestein is an actor. Firestein and- is willing to go all in and an icon. And gay. And gay. That's very important. Another iconic Simpsons guest spot. Another iconic Simpsons guest spot. <laughs> also also the first time I had heard of him. 
And then we come to the 2007 adaptation of... Everybody get your knives out. Yes, the 2007 film, which is based on the uh, Broadway musical from 2002, which takes some inspiration from (laughs) the original film and... The 1988 film Hairspray. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> By John oh, Waters. So the movie was only 19 years old when it was getting this remake. That's kind of pathetic. Um, I'm just going to say it. Uh, it's especially funny because we're getting a sequel next weekend to a 36-year-old film. You'll notice that these kind of land speed remakes aren't happening so much anymore. But I get it. It was for the musical. Oh, God, can we get our knives out? Because I'm so angry and I'm so ready to vent. I, I Again, I want to stress, I like Hairspray. I think the original movie is wonderful. Oh, my God, am I pissed. In keeping the tradition of newcomers, uh, Tracy Turnblad would be played by Nikki Blonsky. You have James Marsden as Corny Collins. You have Queen Latifah as Motormouth Mabel. You have Christopher Walken as uh, Tracy's dad. You have Amanda Bynes as Penny. You have Michelle as Amber's mother. You have Zach Efron as Link. You have Jerry Stiller in a minor cameo as the dress shop owner. The hefty hideaway owner. Yeah. Which they don't emphasize as much in this version. There are a lot of things they don't emphasize in this version. And then... The biggest crime in the film, John Travolta as Edna. Yeah. God, before we get into that, though, like just just rewinding for a bit, like the hefty hideaway stuff. Yes. Let's go back to that, because what Hairspray has is you have a large, non-typical bodied protagonist. And And you have like... Her her sponsor, like this the the sponsorship that she makes a deal with is Hefty Hideaway, which has out donuts for uh like in their in, in the store, yeah. Yeah, in the store, just just as little hors d'oeuvres as it were. Uh and uh so it's kind of a thing saying it's like, okay, yeah, no we're not just like we're not just catering to, you know, the larger people. We're we're kind of celebrating it. <laughs> It really does. You're right. Yeah, which is actually pretty great. (laughs) Honestly. Mm -hmm. And there's no irony in it. There's no, hey, look, isn't it something that we're doing? No, water just means it, and it's lovely. Now, Also, a small point I want to point out just from listening to the commentary back in the day. Ricky Lake lost so much weight, like, just dancing on that film that offset Waters had to give her dove bars. Yeah. Yeah, she had to eat nonstop to make the film. Yeah, just to just to keep the weight on so you know, have the consistency for the film. So but anyway, go go right ahead. That's that's the only thing I really wanted to say about all that. All right. Before we get into the cast, I want to point out who directed this movie. Because because okay, the original John Waters, as we cannot keep stressing, is a character. A wonderful, distinct figure. This movie was directed by Adam Shankman whose works whose previous film before this was i'm pretty sure that was cheaper by the dozen too and then before that he did bringing down the house which is the queen latifah connection and oh he is such a hack if you look at his cv it is a pretty 
damning CV of work. It's bad when you're the, it's bad when you're the hack version of Sean Levy. Because you have the wedding planner, a walk to remember, breaking down the house, the pacifier, cheaper by the dozen two, this, bedtime stories, rock of ages, what men want, and then the upcoming sequel to Enchanted. That's his work. This is uh, this is one of the worst directors we've ever covered. Who isn't a uh, quote unquote you know like he's he's not a Tommy Wiseau type. He's about as and also you you point out that he's doing Disenchanted. Oh, that makes me feel so bad about that movie. Enchanted. There's a musical from 2007 with James Marsden that I could watch any day. <laughs> That's a great That's movie. True. That's a kick ass movie. I love Enchanted. I do have to point out that, um, like, Queen Latifah and James Marsden are two casting choices. I actually do kind well, of agree with fantastic. in this version. Yeah. yeah, they're fantastic. But they're good yeah. actors. And this is true. They have to, and they fit the material. They're also Michelle Pfeiffer. Let's not yes. forget. Like, yes, as much as, as like, I was going to go off on the fact that, yeah, I, here's the thing the point that I was going to make about Pfeiffer versus Dirty, uh, good God. Pfeiffer versus Debbie Harry is that um, Dirty Harry. <laughs> I know Leave that we're leaving that shit in. We're leaving Absolutely. that in. That's one of the funniest things I've ever said on this cast. Damn it. Um, the, the thing is, is that it really speaks to how they've taken the punk edge off of this movie. Again, you're putting Adam Shankman in for this and there's nothing wrong with Pfeiffer. She's great casting. She's and she's good here. She's she absolutely knows what the material is and she's great at it. But it is there's nothing punk about it. There's nothing. There's no edge to it. Is what I, is the point that I was going to make? Like I was talking to Albert in, in the precast about how there's this weird polish on yes. the film. Yeah, it's too clean. Yeah, it's one of those things. Couldn't put the finger on because uh, like morning after we uh, we watched Tab and I watched the uh, the musical version. Uh, she she kind of prompted me with, so how how did you feel about like which version do you like better? And we just kind of went back and forth, and I and we both agreed, yeah, original. <laughs> and it's because uh, it's because Waters Baltimore is so authentic. All of this was, it's him. It is, and the uh, I will say that the funniest part is I know it's more than this, but uh, uh, Tab's reason was because the the remake did not include Link dragging himself by his uh like dra- dragging his legs behind it. <laughs> Why have we ever made Zach Efron a thing? I just want to ask that real quick because I've never seen any evidence that that dude should be in anything. Uh, I find him so Don't tell Tab that. <laughs> uh but I mean it. I mean it. I seen I have yet to see a reason that this guy should I, I take it back. There's one I thing that he's him. done. You, mm-hmm. y- y'all can guess what I'm going to say is the one thing he's done that I really like. Uh, oh, the, the one Orson Welles movie? No. It, I, sh- I should know this. Chris know. R. Chris R. Chris uh, yeah. R. That's he is, he's right. actually really awesome in The Disaster Artist. That's right. I forgot. He might be the best thing about that movie, actually. <laughs> awesome. That was really good casting, actually. Uh, he, it, it may be a case where he's like, um, where he's like Channing Tatum, and he just hasn't found what he's good at, because he may actually really be pretty good at playing tougher parts. 
he's because he's actually scary in that he they this was high school musical era though and yes yes it was yeah this is one year this is one year after the first high school musical and it would be a few months before the second one uh, which is debuted which is on... weird because he was gubbed for the first movie he was why dubbed? he got yeah he was dubbed yeah his singing was dubbed speaking of dubbing have you seen the uh the bad lip sync uh like overdubs of the like the basketball song no, but I need to. Oh my god, it's great. I'm sure it is. I love that. I love that you guy. Just, yeah, they overdub him with just the silly I like basketball. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But, anyway, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, getting on to this movie. Yeah, let let's go back to John Travolta. Please uh, can we? Because I have yes, because yes. and we all have so We've much. We've been avoiding him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because you tend to save the most important thing that you're gonna talk about. This was a choice. This was a bad choice. All a around choice. Bad choice. Because like you have him in like he does not look natural at any part in this film. Like he is unbelievably like there's no faults on his skin. The only fault that this version of Edna it has is that she's large. You know, Divine made such a point to deglamorize, to look like an actual Baltimore housewife. And he put so much effort into making that character authentic. And like the spits in that face. From the first frame. Like yeah. when Yeah, when uh she the character is is ironing and I think she has a cigarette in her mouth. Could you turn that racket down? I'm trying to iron in here. Ah, yes. Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Iconic line delivery. But here, it's... All of this was a choice, especially whatever that accent was. And the only oh, thing God. that I could compare it to was M. Sandler and Jack and Jill. Yeah, that's really... That's the level of this performance. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound heretical. I don't think Travolta's ever been a very good actor. I, that's fine. <laughs> I think he has very limited range. And the problem is, is that he keeps pushing outside of it. I think he has extraordinarily limited range, though. Saturday Night Fever and Irving Cowboy got that range. Mm-hmm. Quentin but you Tarantino get also, also captured it pretty well. Yeah, but you get him outside of that. He's useless. And I don't I don't need to mention Battlefield Earth, but I'm going to. You know, he deserves listen, that was his passion project. He deserves to be kicked to the ground for that. Which is also weird when when you stop and think about it, because you have John Travolta, who is in Scientology, doing a role that that cult specifically does not want you to do because they're not exactly keen on the gays or the queers. But, but here's the thing. He's so fake in this movie. He is so ridiculous. It's literally, it's Benny Hill level, how little he's committing to the reality of it, which is really annoying when you've got him up against Christopher Walken, who 
is He's, another. Christopher Walken slept walk through this film. I'm sorry. He just well, he did, but he's still Christopher Walken. So. So even sleepwalking, I still think he's better than that. That's the point that I'm making. No, you're not wrong. Walken is his SNL performances are infinitely better. But even on sleepwalk mode, he's so much better than Travolta. That's what sucks. Like the like when the film just stops dead in its tracks for him and Travolta to have the dance number by themselves. It's to call attention to how fake it's to call attention to how fake all this is. How the movie doesn't give a shit about being a real thing. Like, it cut out a lot of what made the original Hairspray so good. And part of that, again, is that weird polish. And, like, really the only radical character you see in the 2007 film comes from John Waters as the Flasher. And that's within the first five minutes of the film. You, you, you know what the problem with this movie is? And I, I'm, I'm going to get really venti here. This movie is end of history. We've solved racism. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Bullshit is what this movie is. This movie is you're black and that's cool. That's what this movie is to me. Whereas Waters, there was some danger to it. There was a sense of, hey, this shit is still going on. Yeah. You know, that felt like a real subtext to his stuff of, hey, this shit is still going on. Uh, sorry, the other part I I also want to point out, thank you for saying that, is that uh, the Wires version also kind of points out that, hey, even though this is a, like, a white protagonist, and, like, she's trying to, you know, it, it's, it's still not a white people solve racism thing, because the white people trying to solve racism are also kind of doing it in a slightly cringy way, because there's a, there's a point in the film... Like, which, uh... Oh, with a link in her? Yeah, where she says, I wish I was dark-skinned. Tracy, our souls are black, even though our skin is white. Oh, no. You're supposed to hate that. Yeah, that's supposed to be a very cringy line that you go, ooh, yeah, no, these people are not perfect and they don't completely get it, but they're trying. <laughs> but and at the this, same time... And this movie seems to be like, yeah, no, this no. is a problem. Uh huh. This is the kind of movie that would include that line and it wouldn't be ironic. Exactly. Like it does this weird thing where in the 2007 film, the drive for integrating the show is elevated, but it's also done kind of poorly at the same time. Yeah, they, they take it to a MLK march on Washington level where they actually do fucking march. There's yes. a whole song about it. Yes. And it's kind of like, a, okay, I don't think you needed to drag that into this because that's not what this is. Like, there are there are protests, like, outside the station in the original, but it's not a march. Not like an organized... It was, it was in the original film, it was literally an impromptu, like, uh, hey, you wouldn't let my friend in, so we're going to riot right here, right now. It's, you know, cringe is really the only word. You know what this movie reminds me of is, is Glee. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that it's, it's using all this progressive imagery. But again, it goes back to what I said about Travolta. It's nudging you in the ribs that it's not real. You know what I mean? 
And I hate that. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to actually commit to this. You're supposed to actually make the thing you said you were making. And it bugs me. And I, I can't help that. This, this movie bugs me. <sighs> Absolutely. It also doesn't help that, like, because I watched it for the first time for this cast, the 2007 film, and I can't really tell you what songs were in there. What? No. Like, Whereas outside I of, like, maybe the opening track and, uh, okay, like, Okay, so maybe I can name, like, five off the top of my head that I can actually recall. Like, Good Morning Baltimore, Nicest Kids in Town, um, I Can Hear the Bells, and then uh, You Can't Stop the Beat, the ending song. Oh, shit, that was used on Glee. That's right. I knew that. Oh, boy. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. I think I remember in uh, in our after discussion telling Tabby, it's like, yeah, I love musicals. Like, I, I love, love me a musical. But none of the songs did anything for me. Whereas I can remember every song from Chicago with Perfect Recall, because those are great songs. And the movie had a great cast that executed them well, because Chicago's a great fucking movie. Versus something like Nine. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Marshall had one bullet in his gun. And that's it. Nine was a disaster all on its own. Why the hell would you remake Fellini? Oh, I get it. Eight and a half, nine. Yes. It's yeah. literally a remake of nine. Or it's literally a remake of eight and a half. Yeah, seriously. I've never heard of this. And frankly... Uh, don't. Yeah, I don't think that's the thing you can really touch. That movie is very unique and strange. <laughs> Go read Roger Ebert's review of nine and just see him. Just see him furious. Ebert hated that movie. Like... One one of the things here, unfortunately, going back to Travolta, is that with Divine in Hairspray, that was Divine's natural body, 100%. Divine was a, had gained a bit of weight between polyester and uh, uh, Hairspray regarding Waters' roles, but in, in between then, uh, Divine and Tab Hunter reunited for the Rather lackluster Western spoof, Lust in the Dust, which, yeah, it, it's not great. Divine is kind of lost without John Waters. Um, it, it's one that you can just skip entirely. But Divine was, it was all natural. Whereas with Travolta, it's prosthetics. Yeah, I think I was telling you, uh, like, precast. <laughs> my very first reaction to seeing John Travolta in the makeup in the film was, oh my God, why is his face so small? Yes. Yes. That would just stick with me the entire film, along with everything else. I, I realize I, I'm, I'm going to take some shit for this, but I truly believe this. I dream of a day where fat suits are equated with blackface. I really do. Like, that That was kind of where I was heading with that, it, uh, then I'll go all the way there because I absolutely despise them. Absolutely, they're insulting. It, absolutely. All, also, by the same vein, doing like drastic weight changes for for your role, either by gaining weight or losing weight. Not impressed. Not impressed. Because just like hire if, an actor who's actually right for it. Because like if you're losing weight, you look to Dallas Buyers Club. Gaining weight, you look to what 
Darren Aronofsky is unfortunately going to have Brendan Fraser do, which... The only thing I think of when I think of people losing or gaining weight is the Paul F. Tompkins bit about the cubes and Matt Damon, which if you're not aware, like he on the set of The Informant, uh, he witnessed Matt Damon pop like two gelatinous cubes into his mouth. And he was wondering and he wondered, like, are, is he an alien? What's happening here? You know, you know, it's it, it's a small thing, but I do respect that the current version of the Penguin has Colin Farrell's build and it's more that they gave him the nose and the teeth and the hairline, but didn't inflate, but didn't actually do much fat suit shit. Like, you know, Fer- Farrell's kind of a bulky guy anyway, though. If you look at him, he's he's built, he's intimidating. Yeah, they mostly gave him, like, uh, he has very heavy facial prosthetic, but only really to give his face, like, the appropriate pockmarks and yeah. scars. And, yeah, yeah, that's the really the only purpose for that. And, of course, yeah, the nose and the... Yeah, yeah. but I'm not bitching about that performance, because that was awesome. But this... But you know what? The, actually, that's a good thing to bring up, because that was really great facial prosthetics. That transformed him. It made him look different. It was, but I will say... Like I, I, I loved his performance. I loved the, you know, but I also love when <laughs> people say, "Hey, you, you, you spent all that money on the prosthetics. They you could have just Richard hired Kine. Richard Kind." They could have. They could have. That's the thing about Travolta. As I said, he's so unwilling to ever make you think he's truly in drag, and it just, it again, it reeks of the whole performance, and it. And the fact that, yeah, Harvey Firestein, Bruce Valanche, these were the men that did it on stage. Uh, Firestein also did it for the uh, live performance of the musical. Yes, on, on uh, NBC. Yes. Yes. Which featured a conspicuously overcast Ariana Grande as Penny, I'll point out. I don't, I don't know. And, and by the way, them doing it live on NBC, really, why did you, why? Why did you do it again? I mean, I will point out this movie was a hit, actually. This movie actually did very well. Decent box office. Um, I certainly, and, you know, I know it did, moved a lot of video sales. I imagine so. But it's just so tame. And as I, as I keep harping on, it's that it feels, it's, it's too self-satisfied is what it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean any of this. It's the, it's the original, but with the teeth removed. Yeah, there really is no teeth in, in the remake, and it hurt to watch. It it really did, because, like, this was the polished version that you could show to people that have families that might have some stricter guidelines in what their kids watch, but think it would be fine, but also just completely bypassing the part of John Travolta playing a women's role or being a woman, or whatever the fuck, like... It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you what it is, it's, uh, like, just kind of every, every angle of this version is just completely missing the point. It's the filmmakers saying, oh, well, the original, a man played a woman, and that's the joke. It's like, no, it's not. (laughs) No, no, it's... It's not at all. And again, the fact that the, the, the two men that I've listed that did it on stage... Those are specific men. Those are specific men with very specific identities. Mm-hmm. Who are, you know, 
iconic gay men for a reason and who are also who were also correct talented men i i just i can't i just you know what the, i'm gonna use a term for this movie this is the colonized version of hairspray yeah i went there i went there but that's what this is this is the we've this is no you know what this is this is the gentrified version this is the gentrified version it's safe it's and no wonder it's more popular i i nowadays when i hear this movie brought up it's the remake that's which hasn't happened very much lately you, you know usually when remakes happen of late it's been that the original is the one that stays in people's minds i will say like there are there are a few good things i liked just as far as changes like i liked that some characters were conflated into one another that like michelle pfeiffer's role was a bigger part and kind of the overarching villain that was good i also liked the the joke where queen latifah contemptuously reads out an ad that's the way you do it and i'm your fabled miss motormouth maybell your dj du jour pitching rhythm your way so hey better stay and shimmy and sway we'll be right back with more of negro day brought to you by napaway for stubborn hair Every kink will be gone in a blink. We're off. See, that's there's some teeth in that. There's some teeth in that. That's a rare moment. Yeah, there actually is. Yes. So yeah, there are some. There are some things that were elevated. I will have to say, like I have to give those credit, like those moments, and just the <laughs> Queen Latifah just puts a lot of stake in that, which is great. I really, I really feel like. There's a small part of me that feels like she came back to make this movie explicitly so that she could have a chance to get on to get Shakeman on the set and chew his ass out over bringing down the house. I want to believe that's why she chose to make this movie. <laughs> I'm sure it's not because, you know, when she made that movie, she hadn't had, you know, Chicago was just behind her, but she wasn't getting a lot of role offers. I really want to believe that she was pissed about the material that she had. Unfortunately, I don't see any evidence that's true. Also, I wish I was watching Chicago again. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I say it again how great Chicago is? Because Chicago's great. Yes, yeah, we'll have to do that one at some point. Because I've listened. We already have, kind of. We did When we did the musical cast, we did. We need to do it in full, though. We need to do it in full, though. Because I've since listened to the, uh, like, to the new Broadway cast recording. And, uh, like, from the original... And uh, just was surprised by just how how much more teeth the uh, the movie musical version has. Just how how sh how much sharper it is. The movie musical is a shockingly. Uh, it's one of the few times they took a musical from Broadway and were like, no no no, we're not filing that. We're we're making the edges sharper. Exactly. It's a it's a. I also want to do that cast because I want to bring up the maybe I already did the point that it does. Uh, what natural born killers does but better yeah oh it's way better I hate, version i hate natural God. born killers <laughs> we all know that i hate oliver stone i'm so hard on the record on that but anyway anyway that's so kind of good, that's kind of where i'm at mentally is i'm like but anyway yes yeah watch the original watch the original the original is wonderful and and i also believe with time the original is going to be the one that's going to wind up lasting i have to believe that yeah and I just got, I sent you guys a thing from last night. Uh, like, I was gone all day yesterday, but came back to... I saw, the, yeah, the uh, flying. Yeah, 
yeah, the Starlight Theater sent me a flyer for Hairspray the Musical, uh, which I guess they're playing next month. It's kind of like a, huh, huh. I'm recording this tomorrow. Interesting. <laughs> well, funny enough, we actually do know for certain what we're doing next week because we have actually scheduled a cast for next week. And the uh, nice yeah. thing is, is that no matter what, I'm going to feel like recording next week cool. because we're going to do a COVID cast. We're going to do another. Yeah, cast. it's been six months. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> I've got uh, I've got some stuff. I've actually been to the theater several times, and I'm going hopefully next Saturday. Mm-hmm. Same. Gonna see Saw Multiverse of Madness. Gonna see Bob's Burgers. Same here. Same here. Yes. I honestly don't have much else to say on on hairspray at, at this point, other than this is probably the only John Waters film I'll be able to get you two to watch. Yeah, you know, you you could get you know that's not true. I would I do polyester again. I've seen it. I like it. I actually really like polyester. I've never seen polyester. It's really clever. It's really funny. I you could get me on that one. You can get me on polyester pretty easily. Again, it helps that I really like what it's parodying. Mm -hmm. I I think it's really clever, and I, I, you know, it's also you know much more. It's much less. I mean, it's really not that far removed from this is the point that I'm making. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it's that far removed. And yeah, you wouldn't get me on Crybaby, mostly because I don't, I'm, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie. Crybaby isn't, it, it's not good, honestly. It's really not. But anyway, next week we're just going to get, next week we're going to be asked, Zephyr, thanks for having us do this and, this was a fun one. This was a fun one. Um, I am trying to get a guest on for July, by the way, and that'll be fun. Yes. So if you would like to interact more with us, you can find us. You can email us at the, the Omniplex podcast at gmail.com. And uh, on Twitter, we are at the Omniplex. Uh, Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash the Omniplex. Yeah, like rate us on rate us on iTunes, you know, your your favorite podcatcher, wherever. You know, it helps it really helps us out. Uh send us feedback. Is there a join the discussion? And uh, I will say that I like I like we don't really give out our personal Twitters very much anymore, but uh, I will I just wanna note that I changed my personal one. Uh, it used to be at Primitive Men PRD. Now it's at Amateur Sound Whiz because I feel that reflects me a bit more these days. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. And Until then, the balcony is closed. Oh, wait, wrong show. <laughs> Y'all, I've been binging so much Driscoll and Ebert lately. <laughs> I forgot about that catchphrase. But yes. Um, Alplex is always technically open, but we're more open when we're doing the cast. All right. Anyway, night, y'all. So much to say, I forget to start. There goes a day, say as it passes, forget to fail and fall apart. It's okay. I like you in glass. Garbage cans. Would you turn that racket down? I'm trying to earn here.